Hey thinkers, welcome to this week's Thinking Podcast. This is your host, Jeffrey Wu. And I'm excited to have Dr. Ted Achacoso here with us today. And he goes by Dr. Ted, and he's built up quite a interesting framework and practice around uh, anti-aging, just uh, almost, you know, very similar to how we think about biohacking in terms of optimizing performance as opposed to necessarily just uh, curing just deficiencies as a therapeutic. Um, so before uh, diving too much into his theories, I liked him to introduce himself and, and, and give his two cents on how he would describe him, his practice the best. So Dr. Ted, welcome to our show. Thank you for having me. Uh, my name is Dr. Ted Achacoso. And um, eight years ago, um, when I finished my training in anti-aging medicine and nutritional medicine in Paris, uh, I was... Uh, uh, struck by the fact that we were still using the concepts of anti-aging medicine using hormones and nutritional medicine using nutrients to diagnose and treat disease. And right. I said, how come no one's focusing on health? All right. So I created this little framework called uh, Health Optimization Medicine, or HOME for short. In fact, our slogan is, let's bring medicine home, right? Uh, where instead of uh, diagnosing and uh, treating diseases, why don't we detect and correct imbalances uh, in the metabolome before you could actually see disease or right. when a patient has, has disease already, then you actually help hasten the process of healing. Yeah. So um, the question in my mind was, uh, remember when I was a medical student, they used to ask me, okay, Dr. Ted, what's your um, disease management? And I'd like two questions actually to be asked. Uh, of medical students is, what is your disease management? And the second question is, what is your health management? So that got me to looking at all of the different types of medicine, you know, allopathic medicine, which is the way we practice medicine now, Western right. medicine. There's alternative medicine, complementary medicine, functional medicine, and these all diagnose and treat disease, yes. right? And the reason why there is this friction between functional medicine and illness medicine is because they diagnose and treat disease. Right. So I said, well, why don't we make it inclusive? I said, why don't we... Uh, have a framework that just detects and corrects imbalances, you know, and any uh, side effects that you get from balancing is a beneficial side effect. Yeah. Uh, um, uh, I think that's interesting, actually. I mean, just to interject here, yeah. I think when the definition of medicine is diagnosis, treatment, prevention of disease, right? Yeah. And disease is very specific to deficiency yeah. to norm. Yes. But even then, the, the, the definition of health, normal healthy is a very fuzzy, amorphous term. Right, like 100, 200 years ago, the average lifespan was you know 40, 50. Now it's 80. So even the definition of healthy has evolved over time. Yes, and uh, what I wanted to do is to be inclusive with illness medicine doctors. So I was there once. Right. I mean, I'm a trained interventional neuroradiologist. Right. You know, I trained in pharmacology, so I, you know I have training in neurology. So I said, why don't we uh, have a definite set of ranges for what comprises as optimal levels right. for an individual? Because if you diagnose and treat, you do tests, right? Uh, so uh, ripping a page from the playbook, I said, well, okay, well, let's detect and correct uh, imbalances. And the imbalances that we could readily measure now, which were not measurable um, about 25 years ago, right. is, uh, you know, the uh, metabolizing your Krebs cycle, for example, yeah. or your neurotransmitters and right. all of these other metabolites can be measured now. Yes. Unfortunately, 
we are still stuck with the things that we used to measure before. Uh, for example, clinical metabolomics is now 25 years old, and yet it hasn't found its way right. uh, to uh, medical schools. And uh, doctors are actually afraid to get back to it because they squeak by biochemistry. And, you know, it's like bad news. You know, the things that you just used to memorize before, we can now measure them. Right? Yeah. But what I'm actually uh, after is like not looking at the metabolites themselves, but what are the cofactors that actually influence them? Right. And this is why I, I like measuring your micronutrient levels. Uh, okay. For example, your levels of, vi of, of uh, vitamin, fat-soluble vitamins, right. your, your cofactors like your uh, co uh, CoQ10, you right. know, um, so to help, so to, to help explain a little bit of the details here, so the Krebs cycle is mm -hmm. how our body generates or how our mitochondria generate ATP, energy, the energy currency for cells. Mm -hmm. And there's a bunch of these pathways, cofactors that are steps in terms of uh, passing electrons through the through the, through the the, the proton gradient. So yeah, there's a, yeah. there's multiple steps yes. in the Krebs cycle. And and that's the, that's the yeah. thing is that we can geek out on all of the details of that, but ultimately when a client is in front of me, I call them clients because right. they're not sick, right? right? When a client is in front of you, you have to know what to give your client, right. right? So I hate these advertisements that this vitamin is good for you, that vitamin is good for you, and you fight all over whatever mineral. Why don't you just test for their levels? Right. And you test for their levels, and then when they're deficient, then uh, replace them. Yeah. If they're uh, if there's too much, then take it out. Yeah, you manipulate, know? So, yeah, yes, manipulate yeah. the, the biomass, yeah, right? Yeah, so uh, because we're heavy into quantification now, yeah. right? So. Uh, uh, and these tests are now readily available, right. so we can do that. However, a big uh, part of uh, the whole process, especially for hormones, for example, is that, of course, they're part of your metabolome, uh, which is heavily used for anti-aging, is that we have to establish the actual optimal ranges for this. And there are three ranges that have been proposed that I know, you know, one uh, that is used by Terry Hertog, the pioneer in bioidentical hormone balancing, uh, he's, he's out from Brussels, and he was my mentor in this uh, whole thing. And he uses the average uh, value at 25 years old. Okay. okay. So the age range is between 29 and 30. Yeah. Uh, 20, uh, sorry, 21 and 30 years old. Okay. Right? You have to, to, to uh, shift the values to that level. Then uh, there's Mark Gordon who proposes a median. Uh, value and there's me proposing uh, the 75th to to uh, the 50th to 75th percentile from age 21 to 30. So this okay. has to be established so, like, per you're country above average. Yes, of your yes, yes. Okay. So if you have a 40 year old, for example, or a 60 year old, uh, many of my clients are CEOs, you know, or or um, uh, having positions of power, so they're usually older, right. uh, and you try to move their levels closer to uh, the values between 21. Right and 30. However, the, the, the science of that is that, yeah, you can, you can detect the levels, you try to push it. But the art of it is that all of these are network. You know, hormones are in a network, you yeah. touch one, everything else moves. Yeah. Nutrients are in a network, you, you raise the levels of vitamin E and suddenly your antioxidant regeneration pathway gets fucked. I'm sorry. I'm, I'm... Yeah, yeah, no, let's keep, it, <laughs> let's keep it like dynamic. No, I, I agree. Like the body wants to stay in homeostasis. Yeah, it's very it, it, hard it's, to just shift one thing. It's and always in dynamic everything. equilibrium. Right. So, and uh, that's uh, systems of biology, right? Yeah. It, everything's a network. So the technique that I devise is actually network range shifting, meaning the entire sub-network of uh, say hormones, a subnetwork of nutrients right. are moved down to the level when you were 21 to yeah. 30 years old. So 
that, that's the art of that because you don't know what is going to move, right? right. And then uh, I think for, that's what, what yeah. you bring up is interesting on the ranges because if you look at uh, the d- definitions today, like the ranges yeah. are so broad. Yes. And a lot of you know more forward-thinking practitioners are looking at it like these are, you know, like you're not clearly diabetic, but you, or, or you're not clearly sick, but like these are not optimal ranges. Uh, this is actually right? very interesting. When I yeah. uh, uh, deliver lectures to doctors, uh, especially in Asia, right. you know, I, I I do have a practice in Manila. I'm there 30 days every quarter, and it's really very interesting when they ask you you know, are these relevant to Filipinos? And I go, how do you know that what you're using for your illness medicine patients are relevant for their patients? So I attended this lecture once a few years ago where uh, this guy was uh, expounding on laboratory values right. and where they came from. And he said, if, he said, he tells his story about the thyroid hormones, right? right? He said, it's the average of a thousand patients between age three to 94. Right. So I am 55, you know, Really, you're going to put me in those ranges? Right. So there has to be that optimal range that has to be there. Alarmingly, though, uh, there was a, a study that was presented a couple of years ago, a very large cohort study of uh, of uh, uh, normal right. uh, males and females age 21 to 30 in Europe. And already they're finding, you know, severe deficiencies in testosterone, you know, uh, uh, menstrual abnormalities because right. of... of uh, uh, hormonal disturbances and so on and you know uh defining the roles of uh endocrine disruptors right. in the environment and so so where do we we have to choose some range somewhere yeah. right so uh so for me um the art of it is that yeah you try to push it as close as possible to those ranges but you stop when the patient says or the client says i already feel good at right. this range and what's interesting is that you know prevention is always uh, in hindsight, right? If no one bombed the World Trade Center, then you know you never know the the great lengths that were an effort that was put right. in order to to prevent that bombing, yeah. right? Preventive health is the same way. You know, uh, I have a patient, for example, says, "No, Doctor Ted, I've already been a year under your care, and I don't notice any difference." And I said, "You know, um, how many times did you get sick last year? About six times. This is uh, bef- before my care. I said, right. about six times a year. I said, how many times did you get sick last year? I said, oh, my God, I never got sick last year. <laughs> I said, and that's the way this thing works. Yeah. Um, but on the other extreme, uh, the other uh, way of uh, patients responding is that, my God, my blood sugars are all normal. Dr. Ted, why don't you advertise your practice as, as uh, you know, something that can cure diabetes? Because I make no claims. That's a whole part of it. Is that right. There are no claims here. Any side effect that's beneficial is just a beneficial side effect. <laughs> you know? So in that way, we're, we're all inclusive. Right. You know? So you can refer, um, if you don't like to review your, your doctor, you don't want to review your biochemistry anymore, and you want to learn about metabolomics, epigenetics, you know, gut yeah. microbiota, mitochondria, exposomics, uh, chronobiology, uh, evolutionary medicine, then you just refer the patient to us. <laughs> you know, I, what do you, so from the mainstream, or, or, or I guess like the typical medical establishment would, I think it's always interesting that, 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 that sort of bifurcation around, okay, we only want to treat disease. And once you're in a healthy range, uh, we don't want to manipulate yourself. I mean, why do you think that, that, that I'm sure you, you've gotten that you, sort of pushback. You, you mean? Uh, uh, I, I'm oh, just curious, like why? Like, because I think from an engineering perspective, why fix what ain't broke, right? So. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> but but I think, but if you look at the average norms, every, yeah. it is clearly broken, yeah. right? Like, 
a third of Americans are pre-diabetic and diabetic. Mm. Obesity rates up yeah. to the right. I mean, yeah. metabolic syndromes. Yeah. So I think it's I, I, so. I think when we have different, you know, usually we invite you know four thinking you know doctors mm. on, on on this program, and it just seems like there's like a lot of just conservatism around uh, not, you know. You're you're normal. We, we don't want to manipulate you. Yes, uh, that's why because, do you think that exists? In the, in, in, uh, because in that's the how medicine is taught. Uh, right. You know, you're uh, essentially taught that uh, these are the diseases, these are the pathologies, right. and you treat them. After that, we don't care yeah, about don't you anymore. You, right. don't, don't, don't want to touch you anymore. But um, you know, me being me, I when I lecture, I actually accuse my colleagues of uh, one thing uh, because looking at it from a health perspective makes you think a lot more of more moving parts. In right. fact, uh, I just had an experience lately of having a joint uh, client, actually patient, who was very wealthy with uh, chief of endocrinology of some major hospital right. and came to my clinic and, you know, initially, you know, uh, arms folded and just, uh, you know, waiting for me to right. make my mistake. Right. And, and then uh, I showed that uh, I I take the entire, uh, the, the major hormones, all of their levels, uh, and not just one organ. I, I take, uh, you know, your, your cancer panel. I take your uh, inflammatory panel. Um, and then when he took a look at what I was doing, he said, you do all of those tests? And I said, yeah, it's a network. Why don't you want to know, you know, all, all of uh, the elements, all of the nodes in the network absolutely, that's, and what's going to move? Absolutely, the biohacker way, right? Yeah. Like, you have to measure everything to understand how how these things can be manipulated. If yeah. you're not measuring, then it's just like you're just shooting in the dark. Yeah, because the, 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 the problem of the patient was the patient was salt wasting, right? So uh, I wanted to give aldosterone, which will retain the, the right. salt. Right? And they said, why don't you just give uh, cortisol? You know, it's going to do the same thing. I said, no. I said, see, you, you didn't measure in the hospital. You didn't measure the cortisol levels. I did, you right. know, and the cortisol is way up high. high. Yeah, so, you don't, yeah so, you don't want to be Yeah, yeah. So, so, so suddenly it's, it's like, yeah, uh, and then he said, oh, you don't give any supraphysiologic doses. You don't give them as drugs. Yes, yeah, so you use them as balancing agents. All you want to do is actually shift them to levels that are optimal for the patient, right? So after that whole experience, uh, so he got friendlier. And I was leaving my clinic. You know, I, I put my arm on his shoulder and said, come practice this thing with me. And he <laughs> says, no, 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 no. He said, I am happy with my thyroid and my pancreas. I said, why? He said, there's too many moving parts to think about. It's easier to think about it at an organ level. Right. And that actually outlines the difficulty of why many are uh, do not like to practice this type of medicine. It's because you are forced to look inside the cell now. You're forced to look at networks. Right. Whereas you could be, whereas before, you know, you could just focus on the brain or the heart, you know. Yeah, that's but, like the specialization of medicine. Yeah, and but then when you realize that they're all made up of cells with certain basic requirements, then suddenly it's you're one body. Yeah. Right? Yeah. It's one system. And and there's a there's a uh, least common denominator by right. which they they uh, function. Right. You know, they require the same things. Uh, all of them have this uh, more or less the same structures and there's just some special no, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I think like, you know, three, four, five years ago when I was not as caught up to the speed in biohacking, I would have been, you know, very skeptical because you, you just trust like the typical medical establishment. And then mm -hmm. you realize like you look into it, you do their own research, you do your own reading, mm -hmm. you talk to experts in this in this field. And it's like, yeah, medicine in a lot of ways is very, uh, 
uh, medieval and in, in, in being looking at the whole system as an interconnected network, like, like very much how you talk about it. Yeah. Like if you're just looking at like the liver as or you know as neurology as just like one localized system. Well, there's so many. Your diet affects like you know diabetes, which affects the liver, right? Yes. Like you're looking at the last effect, not the primal effect. Yes. Well, also uh, the uh, focus has always been, and, and the entry of uh, patients to health has right. always been through disease. Right. You know, and that's changing now because there's a lot of new information come, coming in. The media plays a large part. I think in, also, yeah, know. people are more educated. The decentralization yes. of information. Yes. People yes. are looking at like, yes. hey, we not we shouldn't be thinking about health only when we're sick. Let's yes. be optimizing and becoming enhanced. Yes, right. Yeah. That's like the whole biohacker ethos. Okay, like we got all can improve on this performance spectrum. Like it's kind of a, it's not just like you're sick, you're healthy. It's really it's a, a, spectrum. a spectrum. Yeah, health is. Let's a spectrum. all be more to the healthy side. Yes, the uh, side. I have this definition of health that uh, I actually like. It's uh, very simple. It's uh, health equals A plus B plus C. Okay. Uh, a is the absence of disease, and that's where the illness medicine doctors come in. Right. B is the balance between the catabolic processes and the anabolic processes okay. in the body, according to C, the cycle of life of the organism. Okay. So when you're uh, uh, young, you know, then you're geared more, more towards uh, anabolism, like uh, pediatric patients, right? Yeah. And when you're older, you're geared towards more towards catabolism. catabolism. Yeah. So what you want to do is to balance that, yeah. you know. Uh, Anabolic is, uh, yeah, is growing, yeah, catabolic is yeah, breaking down. Yeah, yeah. The, you know, uh, essentially by evolutionary medicine, as soon as we have our progeny, evolution doesn't want to have to do anything with us anymore. Yeah. Yeah. But we have extended lifespans and so on. So, so how do we live a high quality life? Yeah. You know, and between quantity and quality, people choose a higher quality life all the time, right? Yeah. I, I don't want to live a, a life in pain, you know, to 100 years. Right. <laughs> you know, if I could live, you know, uh, five good years with, with high quality life, I'll take that yeah. over 25 years of pain. And then right? let's get quality and quantity. That's yes. The, that's, well, let's get both. <laughs> um, I think one aspect I want to dive into is metabolism. Yes. So a lot of the merging research around... Um, Ketone bodies, mm. ketogenic diets, mm. low-carb, high-fat diets, mm. caloric restriction. Mm-hmm. Um, that's been a big area of interest in research. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, one of our communities, the WeFast group, is one of the largest online yeah. fasting communities. Yes. Yes. Um, what have you, you know, I'm curious to get your opinion I, on, on, on that specific pathway. I, I, I love it, but I also would like to say this, you know. Before you do any diet, any fasting, any anything, yeah. you know, Please, the technology now exists. Get your micronutrient levels tested. Before, because before, with any manipulation in your macronutrients, your carbohydrates, proteins, and fats, or yeah. even caloric restriction, you are going to affect the, mic- the micronutrients in your body. I mean, poor body. I mean, <laughs> you yeah. know? So there is that set of uh, optimal levels for them that you should maintain before you maintain you, you start going on that fancy diet or this sure. that diet. Yeah. And then for me, uh, in terms of... Uh, uh, the different, as far as different diets are concerned, I really maintain it very simple. Uh, you manipulate your macronutrients according to your activity. So if you're going to do triathlon, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, you manipulate your carbohydrates. You know, if if you're going to do, do bodybuilding, you manipulate your proteins. If you're right. going to do to do uh, sit on your duff the whole day, then reduce your caloric intake and burn fats instead. Right. It's cleaner fuel. Right. Right. So, so for uh, like for me personally, I am on. Uh, 16 hour fast daily okay uh, 
you know, uh, when I'm here in the United States, it's uh, my first meal is at noon, you know, and I end, end eating at uh, 8 p.m. Yeah. It's also the easiest way to get your patients or your clients to comply with any food requirements yeah. because they can manipulate the, their time but not what they eat. Yes. Right. So that's my first advice is actually, you know, I tell them, you know, first the guilt, right? You know, humans are really so shameful as a species because they have permission to eat from the time they wake up to the time that they <laughs> sleep, right? So they think about that and they feel guilty, right? And then I said, why don't you try for two weeks, you know, reducing it by to, to 14 hours, and right. next two weeks, 12 hours, next two weeks, 10, 10 hours, and then the final two weeks, eight hours. Yeah, no, look, a 16, eight fast yeah. is not that hard. It's like skipping breakfast. Yeah, yeah. look, I yeah. am not asking you to change anything that you eat. You can dump everything else into that eight hour time period. Just, yep. And then they ask me why, and I tell them, look, I, I although the common uh, analogy is that, you know, uh, mitochondria are the batteries of your cell. They are yeah. actually your bacteria, right? They, I regard them more as kitchens that cook your food for you, you okay. know? So they cook the food, they produce ATP. Now, if you keep on putting food in there, it will never, it's a self-cleaning oven, you know? It will never clean itself up. It will throw up a lot of, of gunk and dirt and so on, and you never clean your kitchen. But uh, if you remove food from it for a while, then it will regenerate itself. Autophagy. It will clean itself. Yes, uh, my, mitophagy. Yeah. And it will it produce you new batteries for the next day. So it's a lot better for you, right? right. But for me, macronutrients has, have to be dictated by the activity that you have. Yeah. You know? And then, but uh, what I'm strict about is always making sure that I, your, your micronutrients are optimal levels for whatever right. it is that you want to do. Yeah, absolutely. I think that, yeah. that I mean, if you're just deficient, nutritionally deficient, obviously if you're fasting, yeah. you're, you, you're, you're worsening that problem. Yeah. But I think in this day and age, most Americans, most people in general are over yeah. Over consuming rather than under consuming. Yeah. Right. But well, but but yes, get like the levels checked so you actually know what you're driving. Yeah. You're, and um, and uh, this is this is uh, the one thing that's nice is that if your illness medicine doctor sees you know that oh my god it's been checked yeah. and oh my god I've fucking forgotten about this pathway <laughs> like, go back to your doctor. Right. You know, it's, I, I, it's interesting because sometimes I get calls here and. And uh, they uh, this is from doctor and said, Doctor Ted, he said, uh, your patient brought his test results to me. I said, Well, I told him not to bring it to you. <laughs> and, and he says, I don't know how to read this. I said, Well, I don't know how to read your test in cardiology either. So <laughs> I said, Send the patient back to me, right? Right. So it is a that's why it's a different specialty altogether. You yeah. know, to be able to to do that. And after you get the the test results back, say you tested the metabolome for the hormones and nutrients, and right. What do you do? You know, so you have to deploy different agents of balancing, not just giving the supplements alone, but they help a lot because you know, from my experience, I've been doing this eight years, right? <laughs> from, from experience, is like your patients or your clients will never eat properly. That's the number one assumption you yeah, have to make. Yeah, it's hard to put inputs yeah, in. Yeah, yeah. Right? It's, yeah it's like, here, so you shove them all. It's like, this is too much. I said, because you'll never eat properly. There's right. no guarantee. Um, and then um, after that, you have to take a look at the quality of their sleep. You have to take a look at their quality of their relationships with, right. with the family, their stress levels, their work. You know, you have to take a look at their uh, gut health. You have to look at mitochondrial health. Right. You have to, you know, uh, there was uh, this uh, patient that... Uh, uh, suddenly developed anemia when he moved to another uh, mm. uh, another house, and 
this was a house uh, that's surrounded by high tension wires and and so on and those are known to cross uh, to to cause leukemia right so so it's like you ask a patient to move and it's like it's an impossibility right, right. Uh, so these are the kinds of things that you have to deal with and then um uh then you take a look at the what epigenetic measures can you provide? You know, so like for example, uh, turmeric or curcumin and resveratrol. You know, all of these with uh, with uh, epigenetic effects. How relevant are they to to your balancing? Right. So I devised these uh, three layers of uh, of uh, uh, balancing. You know, the first you balance them with bioidentical nutrients and hormones. Okay. You know, and the second layer would so actually be actually bioavailable because yeah, a lot of supplements like yeah, they don't get absorbed yeah by identical right. bioavailable right. and bioactive you yeah. know it has to be in the active form like thiamine pyrophosphate or right. you know uh, or uh five methyl tetrahydrofolate you have to give them For the active acid, form right. yeah, yeah yeah so um you mentioned the gut microbiome i think that's yeah. an, another area of interesting research where a lot of the data is preliminary but a lot of researchers are excited about it. Uh, well, yeah, actu what, what, actually, yes, yeah. I, I just bought I brought a couple of uh, uh, patients of mine uh, to Germany, where uh, the world's uh, leading expert in adult fecal microbiota transplant okay. actually yeah. uh, works. And this is a it's very exciting because it's a one and done kind of thing. See, in Europe, um, it's already approved for ulcerative colitis, uh, IBS, IBD, yeah. right? And uh, those are the only indications. But we're trying to establish. Uh, uh, research now right. between uh, Europe and the Philippines where we could examine, um, uh, for example, its uh, 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 utility in Alzheimer's and depression yeah. and Parkinson's. No, I mean, like, it might sound a little bit far-fetched, but there's more gut micro, oh, there's more bacteria, foreign cells, and human cells in our bodies. Yes. In a lot of uh, ways, yeah, we are more bacteria than human. Um, actually, uh, that was corrected uh, sometime January of last year. Mm. Um, it, we're, when we say that, we're referring actually to the bacterial genome, right? Uh, but more or less, the, our, our gut the bacteria count, and, so you... and the actual count is more one is to one. Okay. But their genetic com uh, content outnumbers us. Okay, yeah, we'll look so, into the... Yeah. Yeah, I know yeah, it's a range between like yeah. 1 to 10x. Yeah, no, yeah, but yeah. It, it's, been, it's, been, it's been perpetuated as such, okay. but they, they did a recount, you know. Uh, so um, uh, so I, when people ask me, it's a difference between knowing what microbiota is versus what a microbiome is. So when you're sure. speaking of microbiome and just speaking of a genome, yes, that's true. Okay. But when you're speaking of the microbiota, and it's the probably more, of, yeah, it's more okay. of a one-to-one -one kind of thing. But regardless, like <clears throat> yes. there's a lot of foreign, yes. non- human cells floating around in our systems and and, and not only that um uh a couple of years ago i was thinking i said oh my god i said i i, I uh i need to find out the communication system between prokaryotes and eukaryotes right so how yeah. do gut microbiota uh, communicate with with us uh, right. or intestinal lining or however and I said, if I am able to find that, then I would win. Uh, I would win my Nobel, right? <laughs> and a uh, friend of mine sends me uh, this article that had the three Nobel laureates that that were awarded in 2013 for exactly the same problem, meaning they discovered the the the, the whole thing 10 years ago yeah. because Nobel lags 10, year, like 10, 10 years, 10 years yeah. behind, right? So, and it's a microRNA. Uh, they bud off. Um, 
uh, via outer membrane vesicles, and then they deposit themselves into our um, intestinal cells, and they take charge of our uh, wow. uh, of, of our genetic system. In fact, last year um, at Institute Pasteur, where, where the um, International Society of Microbiota Conference was held, right. there was this there was this fear, right, that. Uh, we think we're under we're, we're controlling ourselves but actually this gut bacteria they are in control yeah and the founder of that um, in fact I'm inviting the founder of the World Mitochondrial Society and uh, uh, International Society of Microbiota so just one person to speak in in uh, Manila in September and he suspects that there is actually a communication between your and the symbiont, which is your microbiota, uh, mitochondria, and mm -hmm. your exosymbiont, which is your uh, uh, gut microbiota. And when I when I told him, Marvin, it's uh, it's microRNA. He said, No, it's too complex. It's probably something simpler than that. And I said, It's microRNA. But we'll see how uh, the whole communication yeah. uh, turns Bal out. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Now, that's interesting. I mean, I think yeah, mitochondria. The, the theory of how they even existed were that they were swallowed by yeah. a bigger cell and that's how you got eukaryotes yeah, right? you, you know actually uh, <laughs> I, I read a, a better version of that that it's really originally not a symbiotic relationship okay um, the the um, the anaerobic bacterium uh, the protobacterium that um, that uh, was in close uh, proximity with uh, uh, what was to become mitochondria actually um, possessed the klepto gene and the kleptogene steals ATP from from the mitochondria. So in the course, so it was more sinister than we thought. It's okay. not a it's not a cooperative thing. Like I want to steal the energy from you because you can produce uh, produce ATP. But over time, then they, they the uh, we dropped the kleptogene and stopped stealing the ATP from from the mitochondria. And okay. that's that, that's uh, actually an interesting uh, bit of evolutionary medicine in there. It's like, yeah, no, no, it's for your survival, right? <laughs> so occasionally uh, there's uh, too much oxygen here and I cannot process any of right. this. So, or too little sugar that I, I, I cannot survive. So that was a mechanism that they had. It's yeah, like, no, it's pretty can, interesting. Can I that... steal your ATP, right? <laughs> so... Yeah, I mean, it's interesting how like, yeah, you have like single cell creatures and somehow you start having, uh, you know, organelles that are yes. fairly complicated yeah i mean it's interesting how the, all these things come together it's but what's fascinating for me is uh you know we communicate in these vast networks that are only beginning to get unraveled yep. uh this time and looking at uh for example now we know that there's a prokaryotic to eukaryotic communication right, right? and then um it's also been shown that food itself uh have micro rna that you know that can affect the behavior of your own cells okay. and then therefore your entire behavior yeah uh in in when i was uh, teaching gut microbiota um five years ago and no one would believe me at that time right uh, when, when i was uh, teaching this stuff you know you went by the classic medical anatomy pathways like right. yeah it communicates with the brain via the vagus nerve and via the hormone you know uh, uh, cortisol sure. and ACTH and by, by the immune system um, but now you know there's direct evidence that they actually communicate directly with with uh, like the bananas micro it, yeah RNA is somehow you but know, but then interest. you ask a doctor he said do you know what micro RNA as you mean messenger RNA no no, no micro RNA hmm. uh, no so uh, these are kinds of things that we have to contend with now. Uh, but to be fair, 
okay, uh, for example, going back to the subject of uh, mitochondria, which is the subject of bioenergetics, we did present it uh, to medical schools uh, to be taught as a subject matter way before, years ago, yeah. that there's really no time to teach any of this stuff. Yeah. It has to be at Medicine 2.0. So what I've uh, developed, developing right now, and the reason why I'm here in, in uh, San Francisco is that um, the uh, framework of health optimization medicine that I started eight years ago, um, you, you know, you're, you're in the business world and you know that you have to have your two-minute elevator speech, right? Sure. Now, I have a, even a shorter one than that. So illness medicine diagnoses and treats disease. Health optimization medicine detects and corrects imbalances. And okay. right now, it's at the level of the metabolome. It's because that's what we can measure. You can have people like Jack Cruz, for example, and, and so on, who would like to go down more to the biophysics level, to the quantum level. But if you cannot pull the entire established medicine yeah. uh, of medicine down to the intracellular <laughs> level, what more to this, you know, optogenetics and light switching right. and all this kind of stuff. I mean, I think metabolism yeah. is like a good place to start because metabolism affects all down, yeah. down, downwards processes, right? Yeah. Like how our cells use and generate energy is, is so critical to so many pathways. So it seems like a reasonable place to, 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 to start. And, and people yeah. ask me why the metabolome? And um, it, it's really very simple because genes can tell you uh, what may happen? What may happen? Right. right? It's it it's uh, not set in stone that they're going to get activated. Right. So um, uh, the proteome tells you what makes it happen. Right. So you could take a look at all of the enzymes that that can participate and so on. But the metabolome tells you what is happening now. So for example, me, my mother. Oh, sorry, my empty uh, empty <laughs> uh, uh, HFR gene. Uh, okay. the reductase is very much reduced in activity. I got that by genetic testing. Okay. However, by three previous metabolomic testings, my folate is always low. And so is my B12 and so is my B6. They're all attached to one right. another, right? So uh, you, you know that there's probably something wrong with your gene, right? And even if you knew that your gene was reduced in activity, what do you do? You still give those anyway. So right. why not start with where you see what's actually happening and can be immediately addressed, right? Yeah. So, uh, so for me, I, I, um, I'm, I know there's a lot of interest in genetics and so on, but I'm more focused on, yeah, there's, there's uh, the gene library, but what influences its expression, right? Yeah. Uh, you know, with the methylation uh, uh, mechanisms, uh, for example, certain... Uh, I, yeah, yeah, I, mean, I, I think uh, there's actually a movement towards that because I think uh, there's interesting metabolic theories of cancer. Yes, by uh, Tom, uh, yeah, yeah, Tom Seafried. Yeah. yeah, he was on our show. Actually. And, uh, yeah, I, yeah, I saw that. Yeah, so it's interesting. So I think there's absolutely like a movement towards like, you know, the, 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 the our genes get manipulated by ex environmental controls, right? epigenetics. I mean, these yeah. things are manipulated. And, and now even by gut bacteria, yeah. you know, so so uh, it's, it's a really quite interesting. But, you know, uh, in, in my practice, uh, and in my um, uh, advocacy of health optimization, I found out from among illness medicine doctors, there's only really two layers that you can count on. Uh, the ones are the new graduates who have their license. You know, they don't want to get into illness medicine because they are uh, active in looking and seeking out for this information, and right. biohackers and, and so on right. and so forth. So those people write me a lot. You yeah. know, medical students like we we want to to uh, haven't gotten everything beaten yeah, out of them yet. Yeah, th that's why I'm starting a certification program, right, right, in health optimization medicine, not only for doctors but for practitioners. Okay, because my goal is to um, 
you know, change the trajectory of medicine, just a little dent, you know, hoping that it could become the fluttering of the butterfly's wings that think causes the hurricane, right? Absolutely, I think there's right? a culture. Yeah. There's a culture shift needed, absolutely. Yeah, so that's one layer, uh, and they love it. And the other ones are the, those who are already established in uh, their field. Uh, for example, one uh, prominent neurologist said, you know, we used to say that... Um, Parkinson's disease and, and um, Alzheimer's disease are neurodegenerative diseases. Sure. There's nothing we can do about them. And now Dr. Ted comes in here and says, sure, you can do something about them. And isn't that wonderful yeah. that there's uh, actually a path for us that we can do? And they are inspired. And since they hold the ears of uh, all of these younger ones, you know, it's the way that it can be evangelized. It's the way that it Absolutely. That we can. Yeah, However, education. those that are just started residency or just starting their practice they're deaf you know there's no way to get them into this because <laughs> they're just too plugged yes. in they're just too busy just like cranking out clinicals. yeah but but the the biggest uh uh untapped uh uh group are you know health coaches fitness coaches and so on and so forth if you provide them with the proper training why shouldn't they be able to balance your nutrients at least they cannot prescribe hormones right but uh you know for 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 uh, uh, health optimization practitioners, I call them hope, home and hope. health optimization medicine, health optimization practitioner. Right, and there's a lot of them. You know, I just had a software engineer lecture me on lipid biochemistry, and <laughs> I said, if this is the kind of passion that you see, why not have them certified? Yeah, you know, because they they study and you know you make sure. I that mean, there's going to be a lot of institutional <laughs> pullback from doctors being like, hey, don't come on our turf. Yeah, right. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, I think. Yeah. It's, but I think. It, no matter what, people will be more educated. Like you just cannot stop the yeah. distribution of information. No, and but and the thing is, um, actually, uh, the illness medicine doctors don't want this turf, right? You know, because okay. because uh, well, you you have to make use of the diagnostics that they have. Like, really, do you really need an MRI every year? <laughs> you know, for your annual executive checkup, sure. do you really need a CT scan right. every year? You don't need this, but can you please get your at least your nutrient metabolome tested right. once a year. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Well, you mentioned uh, Alzheimer's and Parkinson's yeah. as potentially a, mito- a metabolic syndrome. Yeah. I'm curious what you mean by that because I think there's a lot of interest around ketones as an interesting adjunct mm-hmm. to, to at least be an adjunct for those diseases, not a straight therapeutic. Mm-hmm. I mean, some of the research and data we've looked at is that perhaps Alzheimer's is a glucose uptake dysfunction rather than... Uh, I mean, obviously, it's a complicated disease, but perhaps glucose is not being uptaken properly into the neurons, and therefore the neurons are dying. Mm-hmm. But if you can feed uh, neurons through alternate fuel source like ketones, maybe you can rescue some of these cells. So uh, it's interesting that if actually, you perspective on do, that. Do you follow the work of uh, Dale Bredesen at all? Uh, he's the one who reversed Alzheimer's by just using hormone nutrient uh, balancing. And yeah, he's 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 serious neurologist. Right. I mean, with with serious credentials right. and the time that he actually got popular was when he was able to reverse i think uh seven out of ten patients yeah. in various wow. different states of alzheimer's right uh, and you look at his protocol it's like vitamin optimization you know uh, uh, uh and then uh, hormone optimization microbiota health uh, gut micro- uh, gut health uh, mitochondrial health right. and you see it and he's published the protocol interesting and it's exactly what i've been doing but 
not even for Alzheimer's patients. This is just for my regular clients. So you're right? saying the side effects. Yeah, the side effects right. is that. But the, the way I look at, um, uh, and he has very interesting um, publications on, uh, for example, Alzheimer's. Uh, for example, the, the uh, formation of the um, uh, neurofibrillary tangles and the formation of the plaques, of the plaques and, yeah. and, and so on. Those are actually uh, protective substances in the brain that are secreted out yeah, and yeah. which we are not able to clear. Right, out, right, and yeah, that's like a, yeah, that's an interesting research. Uh, yeah, so basically, people are like, oh, we've got to clear this plaque, but actually, that's trying, trying to protect. Yeah, and it's and, yeah, it's, it's, it's interesting. Like, what is the cause? What is the effect? Yeah, so, yeah. and uh, um, if you look at um, uh, the, I don't know, I think it's seven pillars of uh, Aubrey de Grey in, right. in 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 Sense Foundation. One of them is the inability to clear out you know trash from inside right. your cell, right. and. You know, essentially, if you take a look at the word, they're saying the same thing. It's just one of the mechanisms that's right. probably uh, impaired in that. But then you take a look at uh, uh, Tom Seyfried's point of view on bioenergetics or even uh, uh, the granddaddy of these all, um, uh, the one from University of Pennsylvania, Children's huh. Hospital of Pennsylvania, the, the one who mapped mitochondrial Eve, uh, Dave uh, Wallace, okay. Wallace uh, 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 Doug Wallace, uh, and... Uh, you know, he says, well, you know, even if you're uh, whatever it is that you do, you still need energy to actually take out the trash, you know, right. uh, uh, it could continue uh, regulation of division and all these other activities. They all need um, they all need uh, uh, energy. So he says bioenergetics takes right. primacy over uh, 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 this whole area. And, and they all have valid points of view. But for me. Again, we have to go come back to something that's clinical. So ultimately, there's a client sitting in front of you. What the fuck do you do? Right. right? So, or the client may be an athlete. The client may be a world leader. The client may be, you know, they have different needs. But the first thing you do uh, is to make sure that, at least for me in my practice, I'm, their hormones and nutrients are optimal. And they want instant results, right? Look, I tell them it's... It took you how many years to get to this state? Why do you expect to get back to uh, yeah, healthy I mean, they're, they're, overnight? Yeah, they've been accruing right? damage or, or <laughs> they're, yeah, they're pushing their you know, their epigenetics in a certain direction over a lifestyle yes, of, of yes. Yeah, dozens of years. Yeah, so, uh, and, and that just shows you how deeply ingrained we are with illness medicine, instant results, right? <laughs> yeah, uh, like eat, eat, eat this pill and then you'll be fixed, yeah. And I've seen many colleagues in, in uh, the anti-aging field, for example, uh, you know, uh, they, w first they started hormone treatments and so on and so forth, but it's slow, yeah, slow yeah. going, but it's healthier, right? However, you probably want it to be however, yeah. however, if they put an aesthetic medicine practice in there with fillers and yeah. so on and so forth, that practice takes over uh -huh. because we're an instant gratification kind of species, right? So that's a shame. Uh, yeah. And and uh, kinds of questions I get sometimes when I lecture is like, Doctor Ted, can you bank exercise the way you you know you can bank certain things? You can't. You have to do it continuously, right? Yeah. No, I think that's one of those things where I think is is part of the shame of the current medical establishment. You don't doctors don't make money to tell people to exercise. Yes. You make money if you tell them to take this drug. Right, like like insurance only bills and pays you on certain things that you you optimize for, and I think I don't think doctors go into it thinking, hey, um, I'm doing this just for money. I think I think all doctors are doing it to benefit the patient. But like if you're just 
incentive structures align for certain outcomes, then you're just going to naturally gravitate towards it. The center of gravity is towards self, you know, <laughs> capitalism. Yeah, that, that's really very interesting because I trained under uh, William Yamamoto, who is the um, pioneer in medical informatics globally. Okay. He started the whole field, right? Okay. And I was in his lab for 11 years. Um, and we... You know, I did a lot of my artificial intelligence research right. there and so on and so forth. But we were the ones who started automating, you know, systems of hospitals, okay. uh, especially the VA and all of that stuff. And, of course, the, the main thing that we were looking at was the ICD book, International Classification of Diseases. Okay. And the whole reason for that is not really to classify diseases, was but to provide um, insurance companies, you know, labels on how much to bill so, <laughs> so you know um frostbite is classified as a disease and so is pregnancy is classified as a disease you know oh, okay. so uh, it's part of the international classification of diseases and uh, initially i said oh, oh oh nice you know i'm an illness medicine doctor i could actually take a look at all of this uh, list of diseases and you know get a sense uh, of how much money so, yeah, yeah, for, yeah. Uh, uh, um, and then now you say oh my god this exists exactly just for this really the main purpose is for you to be able to bill your patient you have right. to put a particular number you know right. those freaking codes that you have to put in because they correspond to a certain monetary value <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so, so I think it's like if the incentives lined up in that way, like if you come in with the greatest of intentions, but that's how you pay your bills. It's like it's like hard to, yeah. So I think you really need to like break out of that framework to 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 I think optimize for health outcomes as opposed to just treating like a local symptom. Yeah. Well, uh, when I looked at it, I, I looked at the international classification of diseases, and then I looked at the. Uh, uh, the chart of how yeah. much each one cost you know you take it out of the book then plug in you know what what your hospital says yeah. holy shit i said i feel like a prostitute you know <laughs> for each service that i provide I like, <laughs> that's funny yeah <laughs> the special yeah that's funny this is a bonus feature like yeah what do you think of the interesting areas of science i mean so obviously it looks like you have a pretty broad perspective on some most exciting areas we covered yeah. metabolomics. We looked at you talk a little bit about you know microbiome. Yeah, I mean, there's I, interesting research on you know, you know, I guess psychedelics or nootropics around certain cognitive functions. Yes. What 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 is the most exciting, interesting field for you uh, as you see um, evolving with with the with the push of clinical research and all of that? Um, uh, you know, we we discuss a little bit. Uh, what I monitor are developments, of course, in metabolomics and then in symbiont uh, science, which is microbiota okay. and mitochondria, in exposomics, which is your toxic exposures and your, you know, exposure to to um, infections like yep. Lyme disease and stuff. Uh, developments in chronobiology, you know, your sleep wake cycle and stuff. Uh, developments in evolutionary medicine, like. Should you go paleo or not? Mm. You know, yeah. things. Uh, developments in epigenetics. Uh, you know, how can how can you manipulate the genes without actually doing a CRISPR Cas nine on your on your <laughs> genes? <laughs> I, I, That's real biohacking. Yeah, Let's yeah. like actually start carving up your DNA. I actually bought an entire lab, and it's in my. Apparently, there was <laughs> a first human embryo was implanted with a CRISPR uh, genome. Yeah, this is coming uh, out of the news like yesterday. Oh, uh, really? Um, before that, the the Chinese, right? Uh, the thalassemia yeah. gene but um for me personally um i uh i have to confess before coming here this morning you know i microdosed with lsd uh, really <laughs> yeah interesting uh, and then uh, i had my i have to confess this right you have uh you have uh, brilliant <laughs> listeners uh, i had 
uh, I'm very sensitive to nicotine, so okay. I had uh, I had a milligram of nicotine. Interesting. Uh, some caffeine, probably equivalent to like 120 milligrams. Okay, like a cup of coffee. Uh, okay. Yeah, a cup of coffee. Um, and then um, uh, since I was uh, since I'm uh, on a three-hour time zone difference, and I just returned from um, Manila actually week before last, so I'm not really fully um, uh, in my element yet right uh, i took a very low dose like a one-fourth tab of modafinil so i am all over so you gotta you gotta you got a real stack going on yeah you got some modafinil no, but i i think uh yeah. where where um where the developments are that should be monitored and it should be allowed to to uh get studied are actually the use of all of this uh scheduled substances uh, that uh, have uh, a lot of uh, nootropic value. Yeah. Uh, and a big, for example, um, you, you take a look, for example, for the use of uh, uh, dimethyltryptamine in uh, uh, the treatment of uh, alcoholism or treatment of yeah. addictions. Uh, uh, the uh, or like ketamine, interesting data for, for depression. Yeah, for depression. Um, Salicybin as well for depression. Uh, and LSD for um, just a study uh, that they finished in Switzerland for those with uh, terminal cancers right. and, and or, or certain death. Or like MDMA to, for like PTSD. To, yeah, yeah, yeah to, no, to remove. Yeah, so I, I think there's a where we know a lot about these things already. Right. You know, and we know that people are using them. Right. We have data on them. You know, why don't we just go and take a look? You know, because we know how to protect ourselves. You know, the yeah. definition of a true nootropic for me is first it must be neuroprotective before right. it's neuroenhancing, sure. right? So we now have stacks. So yeah, we can have a neuroprotective stack. So now let's put in some neuroenhancing stack in there. Yeah. You know, a lot of people are afraid of nicotine, for example, because of the wrong information about addiction. You know, so... Uh, there has yeah, to no, be I think nicotine is interesting, right? Like the smoke is a damage. Yeah. Like nicotine itself is it's, Yeah, maybe, did, did, you know. did you read that study where they tried to get the rats uh, addicted to nicotine and they couldn't, but then they dissolved the smoke uh, in, in the water and then the rats kept on drinking the smoky <laughs> water. The smoky interesting. Water. So it, it's, it's, it's uh, those, uh, those kinds of things, they are in, in the public awareness, yeah. but um, there no, has I, to be I, a massive re-education. Absolutely. I think, yeah. I mean, I think you're hitting a, it's like a broader just social awareness where if we're just aliens looking at the substance regulation, it's fairly arbitrary, right? Yeah. Like you look at side effect profiles and then uh, addictiveness, addictiveness and then legality. Mm -hmm. Alcohol, yeah. tobacco, they kill a ton of people every single year. They're A-OK -okay to use, yeah. right? And then you have compounds that have, you know, very, that haven't killed anyone or yeah. kill very few people and they're very, very illegal. Um, if you have no, I, I mean, I don't like if we're just a biohacker or just a scientist looking at this space, we'd be like, hmm, uh, this the regulation doesn't really make sense in terms of risk to society, mm -hmm. and then uh, why why they're legal or not legal, and like that's not even like look, that's not like a moral judgment or an ethical yeah. judgment, just like looking at data. Yeah, like the, these things kill people and it's legal, and these things don't kill people; they're illegal. Hmm, what's going on here? Look, um, uh, it, 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 this is really interesting you said that because. Even in my practice, well, of course, what you want to do first is you uh, you balance the metabolome, right? right? And your layers will be first used bioidentical hormones and nutrients are bioactive and, and uh, bioavailable. Then second, you use phytoceuticals, fungicuticals, right. bacteriophages, and bacteria, right? And your third level is drugs. Right. You know, so when you're looking at a client, okay, 
now you're micronutrient optimized, now you're hormonally optimized. What's your next level to give, especially for, uh, for, for example, for enhancing uh, cognitive function, right. right? So you're you're at the third level already, which is the level of the drugs. Right. So why should I give them something that I know is not going to work versus something that I know from all of these, uh, you know, uh, decades of experience and working with them, like for example, uh, MDMA or um, or uh, uh, LSD and and or psilocybin, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Why don't I find ways to make them work? Yeah, you know, um, because we already know that they have some. Yeah, there's uh, definitely some uh, at uh, least uh, preclinical yeah, evidence, right? Yeah. And just like it's a shame that they're scheduled and there's not more clinical research. Yes, on. yeah. So, so where are we to go, right? So right. E- even in in uh, for example, uh, when I balance uh, neurotransmitters, I do not balance neurotransmitters first. First, you balance everything that's needed yeah. by all the cells in the body, and then you take a look at the neurotransmitters. Okay, this this you see that the the uh, metabolites of of GABA are down, metabolites of of uh, dopamine are down, and so on. And then you consider. Uh, amino acid therapy, right. you know, boosting that or give them a, f- a phytoceutical like mucunaprurians to, you know, three times a week to boost their dopamine and right. stuff like that. And then after that, where do you go really? Right. You know, so you can only hack so much in, in that level. And I've been hacking for so many years now. Right. So, um, and, and uh, you know, you, you tailor, of course, you tailor, uh, custom dose everything to what you need, right? right? But there's always this thing that you're, actually looking for that sweet spot which cannot be achieved by just these things alone you know you have to yeah, do, i think yeah. that's all levers they're all yeah. tools that get yeah. you into you know an optimal performing yeah. zone right yeah. and it's just like it's a shame or i think it's just a disservice to not at least explore all possible levers to manipulate our own performance before we wrap up here i want to get a sense of yeah what are the most exciting projects that you personally are looking forward to i know you said you're, you're out to do some lectures what are some of the things that our listeners can can do to follow and, and, and get updates from you? Oh, um, actually, um, uh, majority of my time is uh, right now being spent in Asia because um, I, I'm, I, right now I'm building there the uh, first metabolomics laboratory for Southeast Asia. Okay. Right? So there's so less like than 10. full out lab. Yeah, there's uh, okay. less than 10 of those in the world. And um, uh, the research lab is completed. Uh, and then... Uh, now we're looking at the commercialization phase. Interesting. Of it. So well, um, this is like measuring all the cofactors. Yeah, the cofactors, okay. vitamins, etc. Okay. The other, the other uh, projects I have, of course, are building a mitochondria laboratory and uh, uh, gut microbiota laboratory, which are gut microbiota, of course, is a different animal yeah. altogether. But um, I, ju- I just want to be able to uh, put out there all the tools that are necessary for you to be able to practice health optimization medicine. Right? So you have laboratories here in the United States, there are laboratories in Europe, you know, and there's practically none in Asia. Mm. So uh, that's where I, I, uh, I had these uh, laboratories made. And of course, the company that uh, I started there is called Biobalance. And, okay. uh, <laughs> but we cannot produce our supplements over there because of the quality control for, for the ingredients and so on. Right. They're still made for us here in the United States, yeah. in, in Vermont, and then it's air shipped, so they don't get cooked in the ship, uh, in the shipping, okay. you know? So, uh, so we, uh, what, what I'm doing right now is just putting in all the pieces together uh, for, so for someone to be able to practice health optimization medicine. You know, you, there's your uh, diagnostics and here are your therapeutics, 
like in illness medicine. So here are your detectors and here are your balancers. Right? Yeah. So that's what I'm doing now. Outputs and, and inputs. Yes. Yeah. And so what I'm doing right now, uh, uh, you will hear more and more from health optimization medicine organizations soon. Um, we're uh, uh, establishing this as a nonprofit organization that will provide the certification course for health optimization medicine and health optimization practice. Yeah. Uh, and then uh, the other side to that is providing a, actually a turnkey system for you to be able to practice the health optimization. Because now I finished certification now one, right? Okay. So, so uh, then you can plug, plug in the laboratories. So you're like uh, mini yeah. Dr. Ted's running around, <laughs> Not, spreading the or or you know uh, better than me right? because uh they're, they're I mean, hopefully right like <laughs> like that that's that's how it, things progress like you want your students to be better yes yes yeah. uh but my my real hope uh, are actually the health optimization practitioners because the reason why i'm doing this really is you, you can already see that illness medicine is marching and about to fall down a cliff you know why can't we do a minor course correction by just putting in a core uh, practice in there, which is, should be part of the spectrum anyway, yeah. which is health optimization. And then you do functional medicine on the side, which they, they do diagnosis and treatment of disease, sorry, yeah. and, then, and then illness medicine. You know, so I spoke, in fact, with uh, uh, about 20 functional medicine doctors in, in the Philippines before I, I came here, and I was able to convince them that, you know, hey, you know, the core of your practice should be health optimization rather yeah. than functional medicine so that you don't fight with, your other, <laughs> with other doctors. And yeah. But they saw that it's part of the spectrum. If you're using the same functional tests anyway, so why don't you first balance what's needed before yeah. you actually address the disease? Then from from there, if you still need illness medicine, of course, they're great at uh, you know, accidents and all of this acute yeah. stuff. Then apply them. And there's a place for everyone. Yeah. Uh, but let's supply the missing piece. So um, hopefully we're able to provide the first uh, uh, module on health optimization by the end of this year. Hopefully the software is done at the time, uh, by that time uh, on metabolomics. And then there are uh, going to be six other modules from there. Yeah, no, very um, exciting. Mm -hmm. We'd love to you know, keep in touch and get yeah. that update and, and, yeah. and help distribute the message. I think this is a really fun, like free-flowing conversation. I mean, we touched upon a lot from <laughs> you know, bioenergetics and the mitochondria to, to uh, microdosing LSD. So I hope that effect is not from, this is my normal. It's not from my stack. Oh, yeah, no, no, I, I, can, I can tell. I mean, I think, but I think that's like, what kind of I think spirit and innovation and creativity we need in the space. I think look at the macro trends. One sixth of American GDP is going to healthcare and like no one's really happy with it. So I think there needs to be sort of kicks and in, in, in turns and in, in, in punches into the system to see, hey, can we improve the system? Like every system can be improved. So let's let's all work together and improve the, the broader system here and, and change the culture around that system. And actually more than that, I think change the consciousness around it. Yeah. If we can change the consciousness around it to something that's more of genuine compassion yeah. uh, rather than, uh, you, you know, we're driven by a lot of the capitalism and all of that. So that's fine, you know, but at this day and age when we know a lot more about ourselves, you know, why don't we infuse the proper compassion into all of these practices? Yeah. And the first compassion should be towards ourselves, right? <laughs> like, look at us, what's, what's happening to us? You know? <laughs> so uh, if, if we're able to do that, then raise consciousness and raise awareness, then we would have done our jobs. Absolutely. Hey, thanks, Dr. <laughs> all right. Thank Cheers. You. And uh, as always, follow us on iTunes, Google Play, SoundCloud, and YouTube. 
Uh, we'll also post links to our Dr. Ted's information if you want to follow up and, and learn more about his practice and his, and his frameworks. As always, thanks so much uh, for joining us and see you next time. Cheers.